Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Luminous Church. I am so, so delighted to be with you here this morning. I can't just tell you how overjoyed I am that you're in this seat, number one, to make me feel more confident, right? Uh, But number two, that you're going to participate with me throughout the entire sermon, right? Yeah. So, and really over the past few weeks, I have just prayed. I've asked the Lord what he wants to share with you today, and I'm just really excited to share what's on my heart, what we've been um, talking about, God and I, and uh, I'm just really excited to share with you this morning. So if you don't know me, my name is Alyssa Jo Bear. I was radically changed at the Texas State campus in 2011. So if you are a Texas Bobcat, Texas State Bobcat in here, um, you know, I go Bobcats. You know, if you're a roadrunner, that's okay too, because at least you're in college and you're going to school, right? And you're, you're working towards something. So stay in school. And uh, I was really at a time in my life, I was 21, 22 at the time, I I was going through a lot of things, I really needed identity. I needed something else to tell me who I was and what what I was involved with at the time wasn't telling me what I needed, right? And so God radically changed my life on the campus and got a uh, became a part of an amazing ministry there every nation campus in san marcos and uh, fast forward about three years later found out that they were actually making a church here in the san antonio area and so i had actually come to see one of my friends preach at the utsa campus as many of you do not know we were actually founded on the utsa campus we had a campus minister there kind of plant and work and get a small group together which eventually evolved into what you see today So it's amazing what God can do in such a short amount of time. And so I went to go see my friend preach. She's one of my great friends now. And uh, I didn't want to go. I think I had laundry to do or something that day. But I decided, okay, God, I'll just be obedient. And I'm glad I did because that's where I met my husband. And, uh, you know... (laughs) I was minding my own business, I was praising, and you know you know when you praise, you're not supposed to look back, right? You're supposed to look forward, so even if someone sounds a little bit off key or something like that, you just make sure you look forward. Where I'm, I must have had eyes in the back of my head because I looked back and there was this man and he was like, he had these nice shoes on and some slacks and a belt and a button up with a tie and I was like, dude, there's no way this kid is in college, like there's no way, right? Because we all know we're probably broke in college, I was broke in college. and. Uh, I saw him and like thinking, I'm like praising, I'm like, oh my God, who is that, who is that, who is that, who is that? And uh, I have some really amazing friends because they, they introduced me to him after. And I was like, oh God, thank God I know who this guy is and who are you? And it was really interesting because he actually invited me to come to his small group. So that's how I knew he was really good because he was leading a small group. And I was like, oh God, this is it. I mean, this is it. And uh, he, he would say that at that small group, about four weeks later, I finally attended his small group. He was pretty persistent. Uh, and so I attended the small group, and he would say that's where he laid his Mac down. And I would say, no, dear, that's not where you did it. But actually, a year later, we were married. And so this is up up here. We were engaged at this point. This is us in the Dominican Republic uh, when we went on our first mission trip together. And God has just been so very gracious. We will be married for four years in October. 
We have a three-year-old little daughter who is just, I mean, she has the personality of like five different people. It's quite amazing. And uh, if you're wondering if I had too many tacos this morning or maybe too many cups of coffee, you're sadly mistaken. I am 32 weeks pregnant. Uh, so we have our second on the way. Um, hopefully, I'm, com- I'm just praying he comes end of August and not the beginning of September because this heat is absolutely ridiculous. So hopefully, uh, that will happen and um, really... I just want to say we still hold firmly that we are the first Luminous couple to be married at Luminous Church. There'll be some naysayers, some people will say, oh no, we were the first ones. And no, the reality is that Chase and I were the first organically grown members in Luminous Church that were married by Pastor Ben. And so I think I may get a plaque or a trophy and put it in my hallway just to make it super official. And um, I really can say that and I can joke around like that because Luminous is my home. Luminous has just been so uh, important in my life, the way that our pastors selflessly give, um, sacrificially give their time, give their love. They're so hardworking. I know that today I wouldn't be here in my marriage, I wouldn't be here in parenting, or in my workplace, really, without the leadership of Pastor Ben and Brandy. If you are looking for a home today, or if you're new to Luminous Church, I hope most importantly that you feel like this can potentially be a home for you because it is my home and I'm glad to call it my home. Now before I begin, I wanna thank Pastor Ben. Pastor Ben is an amazing man. He, again, gives selflessly and over the past couple of years, I've tapped him on the shoulder. I've uh, nudged him a little bit. I'm like, Ben, we gotta get some women up on the stage. And uh, you know, after a while, he's kinda like, okay, okay. Finally, this, this past couple months, I think I got a text message maybe four or five months ago, which is really great because I know he must have been praying about it because it was super long ago just in case I needed time to prepare. He says, hey, listen, do you, do you want to give um, a sermon? And I, I just, I was so elated, so, so proud. And so I want to thank him for his encouragement and allowing me to be up here today. Uh, I don't take it for granted. And I'm really, again, excited to share what I have this morning. So let us just pray before we begin. Father God, I just thank you that you are a God of mercy, Lord, that you are a God of grace, and Jesus, that every word spoken today, Lord, would be by you, for you, and only through you, Jesus. And just pray, Lord, that hearts are changed this morning, Lord, that people would walk out differently than when they came in, and Lord, that you and only you, Lord, would be shining this um, amazing morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ben preached on Titus 1. He explained what elders in the church are to look like. In fact, we actually put some new elders in place. I would say we summoned them. That's probably not the correct word to use, but we summoned some new elders, uh, Victoria and Austin Fontenot, along with our Cecile and Voltaire Ferrer. They're amazing people who truly live their life for the Lord. They are great examples of how they raise their kids, of how they hold their lives. And so he was explaining in in Titus 1 what it looks like to be an elder in the church. What are some characteristics that uh, an elder should have? And really, some of those are not being quick to temper, which is really hard on 1604 when there's so much traffic and people just do not know how to merge in San Antonio. I'm telling you. So, you know, things like that, um, being blameless, not giving into drunkenness, those are some of the, the characteristics that elders hold. And then some of the duties that they have, 
within the church are silencing disruption and being firm in fasting and in prayer and really being pillars of leadership here in the church. And one thing I love about human beings is that one thing we do is when we read something that we may, it may not settle with us or we're uncomfortable with, we ask, okay, God, why, right? And I love that God is such a good, good father that he not only tells us what to do, but he tells us how to do it, right? So Titus 2 is going to talk about how we go about living that way. It really explains how the elders in the church uh, really uh, lead the younger people in the church, and not only why they lead the people in the church, but why it's important to live a life that way as well. So today we'll go over Titus 2. One of the, the scriptures I want to focus on is uh, chapter, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and it says, The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now, if you look at that first part of the, of the scripture, it says that for the grace of God has appeared that has brought us salvation. How many of us know that we are only saved by grace, correct? Well, what I love about also that is it, is it doesn't just say that you're only you're saved by grace. It says that by grace, you're able to renounce ungodliness, that by grace, you're, uh, you're able to renounce worldly passions, that by grace, you're allowed to live a self-controlled life. Now, I'm not sure about you, but living with Jesus, it's a lot easier to be self-controlled and to be blameless and to be in tune with him than it would be without him. So in the scripture, what he's saying is that grace and grace alone is what allows you to live that way. So today our message is called Doing Good by Grace. And what we'll talk about is that we're, we're good people by nature. Some, some of us in here, some of us need a little bit of help and that's okay. But really, by nature, we're supposed to be good-hearted because of who lives within us. And that's the Lord, right? So we'll talk about three different points. We'll talk about how grace allows us to do good for others. We'll talk about how grace allows us to do good for ourselves. And then we'll talk about how grace allows us to do good for God. So if you're a note taker in here and you wanna take notes, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about these three points and at the end, I'll put a bow on it and it'll all make sense when I talk about what I call my love pyramid. And we'll go through that. And uh, the first thing that we are gonna talk about is doing good to others, what that means, and what that looks like, both in a scriptural context, but also in our personal lives. So we can move forward to doing good for others. Mentalhealth.org actually says, this is a quote directly from their website, it says that doing good actually has physical benefits. How many of us believe that in here? That doing good actually has physical benefits. It says that it helps to reduce stress. It says that it helps to get rid of negative feelings and most importantly, it helps us to live longer. I'm not sure about you, but I would love to see my grandchildren, maybe my grandchildren's grandchildren. Maybe that's a little too old because I don't know how old I would be. But one amazing thing that I saw on Facebook the other day was there was a woman, beautiful woman, she had gloves on and a beautiful dress. She had just turned 114 years old. 114, I mean, that's a lot of years. I mean, that's, that's a long time. And you know, these newscasters, they go to the house and they, they, wanna, they wanna ask the question, right? What's the main question, how did you do it? Most people, I mean, I've heard you, you probably have heard the myth of red wine, so I'm sure that some people are excited about that. But what I love about what she said was so profound, 
She said that she's lived to 114 for two reasons. Number one, because of the God that she serves. And number two, because she's done good for others. I thought, oh my gosh, how amazing is that? That doing good for others, you think that you're actually giving something away, but you don't understand that you're actually filling yourself up as well. I'm sure that you've experienced this to some capacity before. Maybe you've given food to somebody that needed it or money to somebody on the side of the road. Or maybe you let somebody stay in your house for a while while their house was being built. Or maybe you had a kid that was in dire need and somebody came and swooped in. Or maybe you did a, a Starbucks thing where you pay for the person in front of you and uh, then you feel really good so you pay for the person behind you. And just really amazing that doing good for others is kind of contagious. I remember specifically for me, a couple of years ago, I was in a church service and uh, I, had been sa- I had been saved for maybe two years. And uh, I remember the Lord, I was in this, it was a after, after the evening service and I was sitting down, we were going through the sermon and I, I heard God specifically say, Alyssa, you need to give the $100 bill that's in your purse to the woman three rows ahead of you. I was like, yeah, 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 right? I didn't want to, I didn't really believe it. And, he, and I remember him saying again, at this time I was a big baller, okay? I had $100 bills in my purse. Now I've been married and I probably only have Target gift cards. So if he asked for, if he asked for me to give a gift card, I'd probably give a gift card away, but I do not carry $100 bills anymore. But he asked me to give this away and I remember I kind of brushed him off and he said it again, Alyssa, you need to give this woman the $100 bill that's in your purse. So I did as any good Christian does. I immediately brushed him off. I said, no, God, no, 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 no. I don't think that you want to make me $100 poorer, right? I mean, that's definitely not Jesus. Why would he want to take something from me? What I didn't realize in that moment was that he wasn't trying to take something from me. He was trying to deposit something in me. You see, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to see if I was going to serve him. What he was trying to see is I had the faith to, number one, hear him correctly, number two, the trust to know that I wouldn't go without, and number three, the love for his child in that moment. So I said, okay, God, I guess I'll do it, right? So time passed, and the service had ended, and it was a young lady. She had three kids behind her, and she passed right by me in the aisle, and I thought, oh, well, she missed her blessing. (laughs) Definitely should have asked for that, you know, when you passed by, right? definitely missed your blessing. God, I'm sorry. She probably didn't want it or she probably didn't need it that bad. And he said, no, daughter, I didn't ask her to stop you. I asked you to chase her the way that I've chased you in your journey. I said, oh God. So I felt super convicted, right? So I get off my chair and he's like, I'm I'm, I'm running after her and I look ridiculous because I'm like, hey, hey, you know, we'll call her Amy for the sake of the story. I'm like, Amy, Amy, um, hey, the, the The Lord asked me to give you something. And she was there and her kids are looking at me like, who is this? And uh, I stopped her and I had my, I had the dollar bill folded up and I gave it to her in her hand and she immediately broke down. I mean, ugly cry, like, like snot down her nose and her mascara is all out. And I'm like really confused at this point because I'm like, do you want to give it back? (laughs) I'm totally okay if you want to give it back because my purse is right here. And I realized, uh, you know, after she gathered herself, she had some tissues and she put herself together. She said, you know, Lisa, I didn't know how I was going to get home today. She had an SUV, I remember. She said, I didn't have enough gas to get home. 
And I said, what? Why did you come? You know, why did you come if you don't have guests? And she said, I heard the Lord clearly tell me that I needed to be at this service today. That's why I came. See, in that moment, I realized that it wasn't about me serving the Lord or getting a gold medal, right? It was about the Lord using me as a vessel to serve his child in a time of need. This is what the Lord means, that he gives you grace to do good when even you're not equipped to do so. You see, Alyssa alone probably wasn't equipped to take the $100 bill and give it to her selflessly. It was the Lord and the grace of God that lived within me that allowed me to pursue her and give her something in that moment. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Titus 2.14 says that he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good works. You see, God desires for us to do good for others so that they can see the goodness of God in us. And I'll say that again. God desires for us to do good for others so that they can see the goodness of God in us. You never know when you doing that good deed for someone else in that moment may be the only Jesus that they see in that day. You never know that by complimenting or saying something nice or giving somebody your time of the day might be the very thing they needed to not go home and take their life that night. This is what it means to do good for others. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture was inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and equip his people for every good work. I love this scripture because it's not saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and throw you on the football field, and hopefully you'll know some plays, and you might get hit once or twice. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that his very word and his very grace gives us the playbook on how to love somebody. It gives us the playbook on how to be selfless and to look more like him and to love like him. His very word is just saying that his grace teaches us and equips us to to do good, but most importantly, that we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and who who God is in our lives in order to give that onto somebody else. I have to first know who the Lord is, know what his grace looks like, know what his forgiveness looks like to give to someone else which is why it's so important to do good for yourself. That brings me to my second point. We talked about doing good for others. Now we're going to talk about doing good for yourself. In this context, I'm not saying do good for yourself as far as like get your nails done, get your hair did. I mean, that's all great too, right? But I'm talking about doing good for yourself in the context of how God instructs us to do so. I love that God has created a roadmap for us to one day spend eternity with him. That even in our mess, that even in somebody making a bad decision and eating a piece of fruit that she was told not to eat, that he's already provided the solution for us to spend eternity with him, which is Jesus, right? He already did that for us. So what God wants us to do is he wants us to give to others, but firstly to give to ourselves. And Titus specifically says how we do that. Okay, Lisa, you you talked about doing good for yourself, but what does that exactly mean? I'll point you back to the word. It says in Titus 2.2, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, 
sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. You see, the Lord here is not saying, hey, Alyssa, you have to do all of these things and then you become a Christian. Or, hey, you have to do all of these things and then I'll love you. It's not what he's saying. In this moment, Paul is instructing Titus to do these things to the church. He's really teaching the, the elders, hey, look, this is how you should bring up your church. Teach them to be sober-minded. Teach them to be sound in faith and reverent in how they act. And teach them how to do this specifically so that they can learn to teach others. I love that the Lord has given us instruction on how to bring other people along with us to one day spend eternity with us. See, it's not just about, well, I know Jesus, and I know the Lord, and I'm a good person, and I mean, my sins are forgiven. What he wants us to do is to look to our neighbor on the left and our neighbor on the right and teach them to do the very same thing so that we can all one day spend eternity with him. This is why community and discipleship and fellowship are so important in the church. Having a community of people that teach you how to love Having a community of people that teach you how to love yourself so that you can then teach someone else how to love themselves. How many of us agree with that? See, I remember the first couple of years in marriage, I was very, very confused. I mean, we had dreamt this thing up. Most women in here have done that. Where we've dreamt this thing up of a white horse and carriage and you have this white dress and you just have this amazing, blissful marriage. Well, I was in for a very rude awakening. Very rude awakening. Because what I didn't realize was that I was going to bring insecurities into my marriage, my husband was going to bring insecurities into our marriage, and then we were going to be forced to sleep in the same bed every single night. And I remember this one specific instance that uh, we were, I had been asking him to do something. I, I was upset at him for some reason. I can't even remember. I think it was because of something he, he didn't do. Most women in here, when your wife is mad at you, it's because of something you didn't do and not something that you did do. So on behalf of all women, I apologize for not appreciating the things that you do do. We thank you. We love you. But I think I, I, think I remember it was, it was uh, I'd been asking him to take me out on a date. Babe, I really want to go on a date. I mean, I don't know, it's one week passed, two weeks passed. Hey, babe, I really want to go on a date. Three weeks passed. Maybe we'll leave it at three weeks. And uh, I remember, remember he finally set it up, right? My husband, like any good man, he said, you know what, I'll knock out two birds with one stone and take her to Alamo Draft House. She has a dinner and a movie in the same spot. So that's what he did. He took me to Alamo Draft House, and I was so excited. And we're going up to sit in our seats. We were about three rows from the top, and we sat on the very right side of the aisle. And I remember the first thing I said to him, clear as day, sit down, first thing I said, I said, dear, why didn't you purchase the middle of the aisle? <laughs> and I could tell he was immediately deflated. But I didn't stop there because I'm a great wife and I continued to nag. And I said, you know, I like the middle of the aisle. You know, like, I, I'm able to see forward and I don't have to move side to side and then I don't feel like I have to focus on anybody else because you know those people keep walking in front of you. So why didn't you purchase the middle of the aisle? And he stayed quiet. Then I knew I did something wrong because then now dinner was awkward. The movie was awkward. The ride home was awkward. So we finally get home and 
we get into bed, and at this point, I'm kind of like, you know, when we're in that nagging phase where we're like, can you just stop being mad at me? Like, did, did I really do something that wrong? And I love that my husband is a processor because he takes his time. And I love that God gives you somebody that's totally opposite from you because I don't take time. I will tell you right then and there, right? But he had, he, I could tell he had processed to, to tell me something in a good way and not really hurt my feelings in the moment. So we were laying down, and uh, again, I, I was trying to beg him to talk with me, and I could tell he was ready to talk, right? So I'm like, okay, Alyssa, don't mess this up because he's ready to talk. And uh, he turned over to me, and he said, you know, dear, I apologize for not purchasing the middle of the aisle for you. I said, okay. He said, when I was looking online and I was buying the tickets, I purchased the top three rows because there was an exit on top. And I put us at the very edge of the row. That way, if a gunman came in or if something happened, I'd be able to get you out of there immediately. And my heart sank. I didn't realize in that moment that my husband was doing the only job that God has given him on earth to do, to protect me. How many times have we treated the Lord that way? where we're asking for something and we're nagging because we want something to be done in our way. But instead, we don't understand that in the, in the midst of it all, that he's trying to protect us. He's trying to care for us. So immediately I've just felt like I had to apologize and he was taking his role of protection very seriously. But in the same way, God has instructed us to take care of ourselves by being sober-minded and self-controlled and sound in our faith, not so that we feel punished. And so not to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do all of these things to follow the Lord. It's for nothing more than to protect us and to keep us from hurting ourselves or from hurting somebody else. So many times we ask for something and we tell him what we want, right? But then we don't realize that his plan is always to protect us. So when it doesn't happen our way, then we just don't want to be Christian anymore. Or we say, you know what, God really didn't hear my prayer. But my, my challenge just to you is to ask you, how in tune are you with the Spirit? How in tune with you are you with the Lord in that moment where you feel upset that he didn't answer what you wanted when you wanted him to? You see, I cannot teach someone to be sober-minded and sound in faith if I myself am not. I know we probably have a lot of teachers in here. So it's like I can't, I can't be a math teacher and then go teach theater because I don't know how to do that. I myself cannot give something to someone if I'm not filled up with that very thing first. In order for us to take care of ourselves, we first have to understand who the first caretaker and keeper of our lives are. That's the Lord. <clears throat> when we understand that he is our caretaker, that he is our keeper, we're able then to show that grace to others. See, lanes on the road aren't put there for any other reason than to continue to move us forward and to not crash into somebody on the side that's next to us, right? In the same way, the Lord's word is a lamp to our feet. That's what his word says. And what, he, it, what it does is it allows us to move forward and bring people along the ride with us so that we don't hurt ourselves or hurt anybody else in the process. And I love that about the Lord. I love that he says, hey, daughter, I understand that you probably want this in this moment, but the very thing that I'm trying to teach you is patience, to, to love yourself, patience for yourself, because one day there's going to be a woman in your life that's going to need to learn patience, and you're going to be equipped to teach her how to do that, because I'm teaching you that in this very moment. Hey, look, I understand you applied for that job. This is the third time that you've applied for that job, and I haven't opened that door yet. But 
I'm teaching you now to be self-controlled and to be content where you are because there's gonna be a man that's gonna come into your life in three weeks that's really going to need to know how to be self-controlled and you're gonna be equipped to do that for him. Which brings me to my last point. Doing good for others, doing good for ourselves, and lastly, doing good for God. I'm not sure how many parents we have in this place. If you're a parent in here, raise your hand. I wanna see it. I understand the struggle is real. I get it. Disciplining is like the hardest thing in the entire world. But if you're a parent in here, or maybe one day you become a parent, can't really explain that there's such a joy when your child excels, right? There's such a joy when you see them do something amazing, especially when you're in front of your friends, like let's just say at a barbecue, and then you're like, hey, you, you know, your daughter, my daughter's name is Maya, so I'd be like, hey, Maya, you need to, you, can you get that? And then she does it, and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the best parent. They must think I'm the best parent because she actually listened to me. But that's probably the only time she listened to you all week. So uh, I love that, that we get to experience those things as parents. But the other day, I took my daughter to Hobby Lobby because it's uh, time for her to have her big girl room, right? She's three now, and so she can't sleep in the crib anymore. So we, we were going to redo her room, and for some reason, she wanted unicorns. Now, guys, I'm sorry to break it to you, but unicorns are not real, Okay. Now, if you have your kid in here, I don't know if there's any kids in here. I'm sorry if I'm the one that told you that unicorns aren't real, but unicorns are not real, okay? But there's such, a, there's such a big thing right now. I don't know why. And so she wanted to do that, and so we went to go get all these decorations at Hobby Lobby. And as we're walking through, I have my cart. She stops me because there's this, this wall in Hobby Lobby, and there's a bunch of crosses on the wall. And she stops me, and she says, Hey, Mommy, look, Jesus died for me on the cross. Oh, my heart just melted in that very moment. And I was so proud of my child. I was so proud that, that she knew who Jesus was and that she knew who God was. And she had no idea that she was reflecting God to me in that moment. See, in the same way that we are children of God, he looks upon us when we do things that look like him, when we react like him, when we speak like him, and when we love like him. He looks upon us and he too is just so proud of the people that we've become in him. Titus 2, 11, verse, uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce the ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for doing good work. Now that last sentence, those last couple of works, the last couple of words, it talks about being zealous for doing good works. This means that zealous is a word that means to uh, not be able to live without. It's something that burns inside of you, right? You're zealous to do good works. And that is, that is his ultimate um, charge, is for us to do good works. In uh, Matthew uh, 22, 36 through 40, there was uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were fighting with each other. They were all kind of trying to be smart. And uh, this one particular Pharisee, he, uh, he was an expert in the law, is what they say. So I imagine he was smart. Maybe he went to like a good college, or maybe he was philosophical, you know, I, I don't know what exactly he was, but he asked, he asked the Lord in this moment, in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he says, Teacher, 
what is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, I imagine he was like one of those people that's just kind of like, hey, look, I'm really smart. I got this. I already know. But just in case I have to follow one rule, what is it? Right? So he asked him in this moment, and Jesus responded. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. See, to sum all of this up, the word is telling us in exactly this order. We'll talk about my love pyramid that I made, and I think it's particularly cool. My love pyramid talks about how loving God is the foundation of everything that we do. That if we love God, we are then in turn able to know who our identity is found in. We're able to know how to walk forward. We're able to walk with conviction, which allows us to love ourselves. Because I know when you're doing something good and you're walking right with the Lord and you have a certain conviction in your heart, you know that you're doing good for yourself. And then that loving yourself then allows you to love someone else. See, without, with taking that middle part out, if you love God, right? You love God. Amazing. But you don't know how to love yourself. And you don't know how to feed your soul. And you don't know how to spend time with the Lord. And you don't know how to hear him when he says, daughter, no, that's not the one you're supposed to marry. Or maybe you don't hear him when you want to watch that thing on the internet before you go to bed. But you know you probably shouldn't be watching. Or you can't hear him when he says, hey, son, you probably shouldn't be flirting with that lady in the workplace. You have a wife and kid at home. It's loving ourselves that creates an ear and a heart for the Lord that burns inside of us to then give to someone else. You see, like I said earlier, you never know when you might be the only Jesus that somebody sees in a day. You never know that sharing your, your testimony at a Starbucks might be the very thing that somebody needed to change their life. You never know that all of the pain and all of the anguish that you've walked through in your childhood Maybe you were mistreated or maybe something happened that you just feel like, God, I don't, I, I don't know why this happened. You don't know it was because it was for someone else. It was so that you can share your story and so that they can know who God is by being used by you. Church, would you just stand with me this morning? You see, the only way to give love and grace to others it's first to understand how to receive love and grace from your Father in heaven. I cannot go fill somebody else up if I myself am not first filled up. I love this quote, it says, the love and grace, that love and grace is given to us by God because he desires to give it to us, not necessarily because of anything that we've done to earn it. See, I love that God is so gracious to his kids that even in the moments of turmoil where you feel like, hey, Alyssa, that's great. That's great that you think that, you know, you can just give grace freely. I've been hurt many times. I don't have any grace to give anymore. My grace tank is empty. Maybe that's you here this morning. Or maybe you've never understood or maybe you've never felt the grace of God in your life. 
Maybe you don't know who the Lord is. This morning, I encourage you, with every head bowed and all eyes closed, if you are in here this morning and you've never received the Lord as your Savior, you've never accepted His love, maybe you turned away because you didn't think that you could do it or maybe that you were too far gone, I want to encourage you this morning and let you know that you are not too far gone. You are never too far gone. If you'd like to receive that salvation this morning, I just ask you to raise your hand in this moment. Let the Lord flood your heart. Let him love on you. Now maybe you're someone in here that's received salvation years ago, months ago but you're worn out and you're tired and you don't know if you can move anymore. You don't know if you can stay in that lane of grace anymore. Maybe you've given grace so many times and it hasn't, given, it hasn't been given back to you. If you're that person in here and you want the grace of God to fill up your heart and you want the grace of God to be to, to, give, to be given to you so that you can give to someone else. Raise your hand in this moment and receive that grace from Jesus because he is ready to give it to you. Jesus doesn't have limitations on what he can give. He doesn't have a capacity where there's a wall or a ceiling that he hits. Let us pray.